Lord, thank you for these truths. Thank you for the gift of music and how it stirs our souls to want to uh, confess the, the beauty of these truths with joy. God, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for your grace, which meets all of our needs and goes so far beyond. Your grace is so lavish. God, I pray that you would use your word now to open the eyes of our hearts to see more of the lavishness of your grace. Help us to become more confident in the freeness of it and in your heart to give it. God, I pray that you would help all of us work in us what is pleasing to you. God, we commit ourselves to you and we commit ourselves to your word in this time. God, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, uh, the preacher preaches in vain, and apart from you, the hearers hear in vain. God, we pray that this would not be a vain time, but that you would work in our hearts by the power of your Spirit and, and awaken us to worship Christ more, to, to want to live for his glory more. Awaken us to understand your word more, to be trained in righteousness more. God, do all of these things and do more than, than I have just asked. God, I pray you would surprise us by how you work in us through your word now yeah, in ways that, that are good for us and make us love you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to Acts 20. Acts 20. We left off in verse 32 last week. And we come today to the end of a talk that the Apostle Paul had with the elders or the pastors of the church in Ephesus. And Paul had ministered among them for three years. But now Paul is sailing away and he doesn't expect to see any of these men again until heaven. Paul used this final meeting with the church leaders to charge them to be vigilant, to watch carefully over their own souls and over the souls of other believers in the church. He told them, pay careful attention to yourselves, first of all. Watch your own hearts, and then also pay careful attention to all the flock. Watch over all Christ's sheep whom he purchased with his blood. Be on guard for them, for yourselves. And Paul gave a warning to explain why this vigilance was necessary. He said, wolves are coming, and they're not going to spare the flock. And he warned, even from among the elders who were standing there listening to him, that some would arise speaking twisted things to draw disciples away from the truth. And so before Paul leaves these men, he tries to tell them, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do to be able to look after your own hearts well and to care for the souls of others well. And in the conclusion of this charge, which we'll look at today, he tells the elders about the divine power that they need, and he tells them about the character that they need to do this. They need the power that comes from the word of God's grace, and they need the character of a hard-working giver. And you need the same. And for the same reasons... If you will watch carefully over your own heart 
and care well for others, if you will minister to your own soul and to the souls of others, then you need to learn how to use the power of the word of God's grace. And you need to cultivate the heart of a hardworking giver. So listen to these inspired words. I'd encourage you with, with two sets of ears and try to apply it on two fronts. Uh, Paul is most immediately talking to pastors about how they must care for the church. And so certainly listen along those lines. You need to look for pastors and teachers who point you to this power of God's grace and who possess this kind of godly character that Paul will describe. And on the other hand, you need to look out for pastors who don't. But also, secondarily, listen to these words of Scripture thinking about your own spiritual health and fruitfulness. If you do not learn to lay hold of this power and to draw strength from it, and if you do not pursue this kind of character, then you are putting yourself in spiritual danger. And you're also greatly limiting how much eternal good you can accomplish, which our God has graciously promised to reward. So this scripture first points us to the power needed for spiritual care and fruitfulness. That's the power of the word of God's grace. And the power of the word of God's grace. Look at verse 32. Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, so Paul, as he's leaving, is here entrusting them to that which can empower them to watch over themselves and care for other believers. And we know that's the idea of this verse because of the little word in the middle of the verse, able. This verse is teaching us what the word of God's grace is able to do, what the word of grace has the ability to accomplish, what it's capable of doing in your life and doing in the lives of others through you. Or to say it another way, this verse is telling us what the word of God's grace has the power to do. And the, the Greek word underneath able here, it's uh, dunamai. I tell you that only to tell you that the noun form of this word, dunamis, is found in Romans 1.16, which you may be familiar with. Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. A form of the same word used here. And that verse in Romans is a good one to pair with this one in Acts 20 because uh, the word gospel that Paul used in Romans 1, uh, Paul also uses that word to describe this word of his grace in Acts 20. If you look earlier in Acts 20, at Acts 20, 24, the end of it, you'll see him talking about the gospel of the grace of God. Well, that's what he's talking about here in verse 32 as well. Gospel, of course, we can't say enough, means good news. He's talking about what the good news of God's grace is powerful to do. Now, if you have a picture of God in your mind that can't square with this phrase then you need to change the picture of God that you have in your mind. God is a God who, who comes to people who have sinned against Him horribly, and still He announces to them, I have good news for you. I have grace to offer you. 
and His good news for us is just what we sang. It's all about His Son. He sent His Son to save us from our sins. The Son took on our flesh so that He could suffer for our sins and die for them in our place to ransom us, to make us a forgiven people, to make us a people for God's own possession instead of being sinners estranged from Him under His judgment. And then three days later, God's Son rose from the dead to secure for us a status of perfect righteousness before God forever and also to, to break the enslaving power that sin had over us so that we could be free to live new, holy lives. And God just gives this to us. He just gives us this forgiveness and this righteousness and this newness of life in Christ. And that's why it's called the good news of grace. It's God's free gift to sinners. It's for all who trust that God really will give all these things to them on account of what Jesus did as their substitute. That's what's primarily in view here, the word of the grace of God. Now, Acts 20.32 tells us what that message of grace has the power to accomplish in believers. It is able to accomplish incredible good in us. Now, why would the message itself, the word about grace, have that kind of power? is because God gives grace through the word about His grace. The gospel news is powerful because God gives us pardoning grace, and He gives us empowering grace through what He says to us about His grace as we believe what He's saying to us. That's why the word of His grace is able to do the things that verse 32 says it can do. Because our faith in God goes out to rest on His word, what He says about His grace. And that faith is the instrument through which God gives us grace. Romans 5.2, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith. You see that, just trusting God's words, that they are true, and relying on them to be true for me. That is how we reach out our hands and receive the grace that God is promising. It's by faith. And that is why the word, verse 32 says, is able to accomplish these things. Because the word is how God concretely gives Himself to us to trust. And that is how we experience and benefit from the grace that God talks about when we trust what He said about it. That's why the Word of God's grace has power for the church, the divine power that we need to keep our souls and to care well for others. Now specifically, this verse says the Word of God's grace is able to do two things. First, it's able to build you up. Now remember, who's Paul talking to? A bunch of pastors, elders, people who presumably have already been saved by the gospel, who are tasked with caring for other people who have already been saved by the gospel. So, so this is saying that the gospel is not only the power of God to save unbelievers, 
But the word of God's grace is also the power of God to build up believers. Doesn't it say that? It's to edify them. Now, Paul talks a lot about edification or building up the body of Christ in other places in the Bible. And building up is a way to speak of believers growing stronger spiritually and maturing in Christ-likeness and love and holiness. Okay, well, where can you go to find the power from God that you need to actually do this, to actually mature in Christ, to grow up spiritually, to grow in love and holiness? It's the word of God's grace that is able to build you up like that. The word of grace, God's good news about all he freely gives you in Christ. It's not just what you need for initial salvation. It's what you need for ongoing edification as a believer to be built up. So so as you, Christian, as you hear and trust the good news of grace, it, it is then that you especially have grace to grow. When I preach the gospel from this pulpit, don't don't turn your mind off and say, oh, he's talking to the unbelievers now. No, I'm not. I'm talking to them too. But I'm talking to, to believers also about God's grace so that you can be built up by it. As you believe on God's word that Christ has freed you from sin, it is then that you have the power to be free from sin to walk in. You will not grow strong. You will not help anyone else stand strong if you sideline the word of grace. Now, along the same lines, verse 32 affirms, second, that the word of God's grace is able or powerful to give the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, this inheritance is a share in or even a place in the kingdom of God. Paul Paul uses the word inheritance or inherit and kingdom together a lot. It's a place in the blessed eternal kingdom of peace and righteousness and rest over which Jesus rules as a loving shepherd. And those who have a place in this kingdom, those who have this inheritance are, this verse said, all those who are sanctified. Or in other verses, uh, All those who are called saints, it's a form of the same word, holy ones, those who have been set apart by God for God, a people for his own possession. And the word of God's grace about Christ is able to give you an inheritance right there among the rest of the saints. The word of God's grace is is powerful to make each believer belong there as one who is sanctified, who is set apart to him. Now, later in Acts, in Acts 26, 18, Paul says something very similar. And he says there that, that God uh, uses the gospel that he preaches to open eyes of the people he will save so that they receive forgiveness of sins and they receive a place or an inheritance among those who are sanctified by Faith in Christ, it says, Acts 26, 18. So ongoing faith, again, same idea, ongoing faith as he is offered to us in God's word of grace, that that gives us an inheritance in the kingdom because that gives us the, the status of a holy one, of one who's set apart for God. And it also gives us the power to actually become more holy 
in our hearts and lives. God's grace is powerful enough to make us not be like a fish out of water in heaven because it makes us also want to be holy and happy in God. The Bible affirms that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But by God's grace, you can be washed and you can be justified. You can be sanctified in the name of Jesus who died and by the power of the Spirit, which is yours, by simple faith in Jesus, in the word of grace, as 1 Corinthians 6. So, so gathering up all we've seen in this verse... I think we would say it would be an error, and perhaps it's a common error that Christians can fall into, to think that once we're saved, what we really need to hear all about is just what God wants us to do, so we can go ahead and do it, and mature, and grow in holiness, and pursue sanctification. And we do need to hear that, but we don't need to just hear that. The problem with just hearing that is we have no power to actually do what God wants us to do apart from ongoing active faith in the word of grace, ongoing active faith in what God promises to give us in Christ. It's like we confessed together earlier in the service, Titus 2, what trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions? What trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age? The grace of God that has appeared and brings salvation to all people. A part of what Jesus died, this is part of the message of grace, that part of what Jesus died to give us as a free gift is the power to live a holy life, in addition to being forgiven for how we haven't. He died to give us a place among those who are sanctified. And we have power to live a sanctified life, really, as we trust that we have it, because God promises that we do as we believe that promise. So, so I want to encourage you, you need to grab hold of this idea in Acts 20.32 and, and let it change the way that you try to live as a Christian. Let it change the way that you try to minister to other Christians. We need the message of grace in Christ to be built up and to be sanctified further. And that will be the best protection from the threat of wolves. If you're growing in faith... If you're growing in love and in holiness because your sights are set firmly on the true grace of God. See, wolves in Scripture try to do at least these two things. They try to lead you towards sin and they try to pervert the gospel of God's grace. And so a church is fortified and a Christian is is fortified against those wolfish threats as as they are built up by the power of the true word of God's grace in Christ. And God uses that to protect you until you actually come into possession of that inheritance that he's promised you and said is is yours already the moment you trusted in what Christ has done. So to keep your own soul well, to care well for other Christians, you need to learn how to minister the promises of the gospel to Believers, 
Learn how to evangelize Christians, to, to good news them, to point them to the message of grace that is theirs for their edification and for their sanctification. Now, that doesn't mean that we never minister any other truths of Scripture to our hearts and others. Each Christian needs all the Bible. Otherwise, God wouldn't have said all these things. But I want you to consider also that, that if we have a firm hope in what God says to us about His grace in Christ, that that actually helps us to receive everything that God says in the Bible as His grace to us as, as well. The word of His grace makes all of the word grace to us. Uh, here's what I mean. In light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus has done, God's commandments are no longer a condemning death sentence against me. But they become a light to my feet, a lamp uh, to, to light the way before me, to lead me to greater joy in God for His glory. I love His law. Why? In light of the gospel, in light of His grace. Even the warnings of scriptures, they, God uses them as means of grace to believers to to, to keep us from straying away from Him in any final or ultimate sense. When you get grace right, everything in the Bible is, is grace to us. Now, the Scripture has, has pointed us to the power needed for spiritual care and fruitfulness. Next, second, this Scripture points us to the character needed for spiritual care and fruitfulness. And that is the heart of a hardworking giver. It's the second big idea of the passage, the heart of a hardworking giver. Look at verse 33 with me. Paul says there about his three-year ministry in Ephesus, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Now, to covet it just means to desire, uh, to want. Coveting describes a sinful kind of desiring. Yes, even our desires are righteous or unrighteous, not just our actions. And God looks on the heart. When Paul says here, I did not covet, what he's saying is, I did not have greedy desire to have more than what God has given me. And I did not have jealous desire to have what God has given you. All the time I was ministering to you, I was not looking at what you had, and thinking about what you could give me, and wishing, or, or hoping, or scheming for my own personal gain. When I declared to you the whole counsel of God, and, and was teaching you, and admonishing you with tears, I did not do that because I wanted to get something from you. That's what he's saying. That's not what was going on in my heart. And he proves that to them by reminding them of, of what he did with his hands. Look at verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands, and I imagine he held up his own hands while he said this, these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And wasn't it clear that I wasn't trying to fleece you? I worked with my hands as a tent maker to provide for my own needs and for those who were with me. I didn't ask for your silver. I didn't ask for clothing from you. I worked e even on top of the unceasing ministry of the word that he was engaged in. Now, why is Paul telling them this? 
I mean, he's not just like publicly patting himself on the back here. It could be, in part, Paul knows that some of these wolves or false teachers are going to come in and they're going to try and discredit him and discredit the gospel that he preached by saying, hey, Paul told you those things about grace just to tickle your ears because he was in it for the money. And you know that collection for the saints in Jerusalem that he's been telling all the, the churches to contribute to and that he wants to collect? He said he was going to take that money to the poor in Jerusalem. Right? These kinds of things. Paul says, no, remember how I lived among you. Even more than that, though, the main reason Paul is talking about his work, his hard work and his lack of coveting, was to show these elders the kind of heart, the kind of character they must have if they were going to care well for the church and keep a close watch over themselves. He's giving them an example. And verse 35 is how we can know that. Look at verse 35. In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we, you too, like I'm trying to show you something. How we should live. We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I lived, you must live believing these words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give. I worked to meet the needs of others. Than to receive. I did not covet what was yours. Now, these exact words of Jesus, if you look for them in one of the four Gospels, you're not going to find them. They're not uh, exactly found. Uh, this saying, at least, is not found there. Now, of course, the Gospels can't contain everything that Jesus taught. And, in fact, the very last verse of the four Gospels, John 21, 25, says, There are many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Well, so to the teaching of Jesus. So Paul probably learned about these words from Jesus during one of those times that he was in Jerusalem visiting with the apostles who had spent three years hearing the teaching of Jesus before he died and then 40 days hearing the teaching of Jesus after he rose from the dead. They had heard him say at some time, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus practiced this thing he preached. No one has ever sought to give and not receive more perfectly and more completely and more significantly than our Lord Jesus did in the way that he lived and in the way especially that he died. Okay, remember again who Paul is talking to here. It's the elders or pastors of the Ephesian church. Uh, he's telling them how to shepherd the church. They must watch over the sheep because wolves are, are coming. Right? Even some of you who are listening to me might end up being a wolf. And so these words are important because... Uh, these words of, of, of Jesus draw the most basic dividing line there is to distinguish between the heart posture of a shepherd and the heart posture of a wolf. Uh, the former are looking to give, the latter are looking to take. Shepherds feed sheep. They seek to give them what they need for their good. And wolves feed on sheep. 
They seek to take from them what they can get for their own sake. So godly leaders seek the benefit of those under their care and authority. They have the heart of givers. Ungodly leaders seek to use those under their care and authority for their own benefit. They have the heart of takers. And this is true in all spheres of of human society and relationships, not just in the church. In a family, in a marriage, in a workplace, in a government, this is the dividing line. Do you seek to give to or take from those under your care? Now, covetousness or greed is one of the most common biblical warnings about false teachers. The scripture says a pastor or an elder must not be a lover of money, 1 Timothy 3. He must not be greedy for gain, Titus 1. He must not exercise oversight for shameful gain, 1 Peter 5. Not seeking what they can get out of it. So you cannot be a pastor or an elder or a faithful overseer or a godly leader in any sphere if you do not have the mindset of the Lord Jesus that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you need to apply that principle in all your relationships. It doesn't just hold true for for leaders even. If you have a heart that's full of coveting, you cannot care well for others because your thoughts will naturally turn to what you might receive from people or wish that you could instead of what you could give to them. You cannot be full of of greedy desire or of jealous desire for what someone else has or is and truly seek their welfare at the same time. Those are just two ways of thinking about other people that, that are opposed to each other. You can't think both ways about people at the same time. You you can't pay careful attention to how someone else is doing, really. If deep down you are paying careful attention to what they have that you want for yourself. The temptation of coveting opposes the words of Jesus at the end of verse 25. Covetous desire says, I would be more blessed if I received this from you instead of giving what I have to you. And so if you're going to care well for others, you have to pursue this kind of heart that says, I did not covet. We must keep a close watch on ourselves. These these desires can be great spiritual danger. Scripture affirms it could be grave spiritual danger. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Do not be deceived. The greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5.5 says, You may be sure of this, that everyone who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I mean, wow, forget qualifications for eldership. We're just talking about the inheritance that's given in Christ, the kingdom of God. Pay careful attention to your heart. But at the same time, what else have we learned about the inheritance? Pay careful attention to that too. Pay careful attention to the word of God's grace. The word of God's grace is powerful to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
So, so put all those verses together. That means the gospel of grace is sufficient for you to find forgiveness for, for these heart sins of, of desire, covetousness, and to find, in increasing measure, freedom from them. Well, Christ, it is sufficient for you to not walk in, live in covetous greed. And, and what He did is sufficient to help you to to put away whatever remnants of covetousness still remain and and lurk in your sinful heart even after you've been born again. A Christian can do battle with self-seeking desires by grace. And you can put them to death if you are trusting that Jesus died for them. And He did. And so you should. You can. The Word of His grace is able Give your heart and faith to the gospel. It will help you to keep believing it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, Like Jesus said in Matthew 10, you you received without paying grace. Give without pay. Now another way the word of God's grace helps us to cultivate this character is because the gospel is good news that God promises us a kingdom because of what Christ has done, right? He gives that inheritance. He sanctifies us for it by grace, through faith in Christ. So in Christ, we are so rich. According to God's great mercy, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance being kept in heaven for us imperishable, unfading, better than silver and gold. In Christ, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose. And when we heard the gospel and we believed in Christ, we were sealed in Christ by the promised Holy Spirit. And He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. So I think it's no accident that here in Acts 20, Paul said, I coveted no one's silver, gold, apparel. Right after, he's talking about the inheritance that believers have from God. And do you see how those things might be related conceptually? As if to say, I don't need to covet silver or gold because I've got something better in Christ. A place in a kingdom, an inheritance... Even in inheritance with Christ, the Bible says, we're co-heirs with Him. His lavish grace shown to sinners who believe on His Son. Now, the other parts of these verses show us how Paul's heart of a giver expressed itself in the work of his hands. We could say, out of the overflow of a giving heart, the hands work. This is the kind of practical action we need to aim for, to to live out of a giving heart. We aim to work hard to meet our own needs and the needs of others, especially the weak. That's the vision of verses 34 and 35. If you want to run away from covetousness, this is what you have to run towards, this kind of life. If you don't work hard, You're not pursuing the blessing of giving. In idleness, if it's left unchecked, it will breed covetousness. It will breed the heart posture of one who thinks it's more blessed to receive. 
And Paul spoke in especially his correspondence with the Thessalonians about how he gave himself and his own hard work as an example to them to follow in, in just this respect. In 2 Thessalonians 3, he said, You know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right to be paid for preaching the gospel, but we wanted to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Those among you who walk in idleness, we command in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and earn their own living. And then earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, He said, we never came with a pretext for greed. God is witness. You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then a couple chapters later, 1 Thessalonians 4, he calls the church to follow his example. He says, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may properly walk before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the example that Paul is giving to believers. How do you care well for others? How do you keep close watch over your own soul? Work, labor, toil. Don't be idle and think it's okay because you can just depend on someone else. A Christian must pursue the opposite heart. The heart that not only works to meet one's own needs, but also to give to others who are in need, uh, to give to, to, to the people who are in a season of life where they need to depend on others. They need someone to carry their burdens with them in a special way. And, and that's an important matter for us to talk about when we come to verses like these. Because these verses do affirm that not every Christian is always able to provide for their own needs much less the needs of others. When Paul said in verse 34, my hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me, does that imply that those who were with Paul were in sin somehow? No. They needed that help, apparently. And verse 35, Paul says, by working hard, we must help the weak. The weak don't need to be told, hey, you need to get to work. They need to be helped First Thessalonians 5.14, admonish the idle, help the weak. Those who are weak in this sense are those who have just some kind of personal limitations and lack, whether it's through physical ailments or some other kind of suffering or other circumstances which hinder them from providing for their own necessities. And they just can't right now, even if they want to and are striving to as much as they can. I know that that sometimes Christians who are in a season of weakness in this respect can feel especially pierced by verses like these because they hear how it's more blessed to give than receive and they think, I'm in a position where I have to receive right now. And they hear how Paul worked hard to provide for his own necessities and they think, I can't do that right now. 
And they hear how Paul even met the needs of others. And they're grieved and they think, I would love to do that. And I can't do that right now. I'd encourage you, if you are in that season, if or when you enter into a season like that, remember what we said earlier. Remember what God looks on. God looks on the heart. Can you have the heart of a hardworking giver by the power of God's grace, even while you are severely limited in how much you can work or give? And the answer is yes. And remember also uh, what, what Jesus said about the widow in the temple. The poor woman who gave out of her poverty was giving more in his eyes than those who gave out of their abundance. Even if it isn't much, even if it isn't money, you can still give in some way that can be a big way in the eyes of our Lord. And, and this blessing Jesus spoke of, that it's more blessed to give than receive, this does not mean that those who are not weak, not in need, just have more opportunity to be blessed of God. And not so. There is a special blessing associated with giving, but is there not also a special blessing associated with weakness, trials, sufferings? There is. The Scripture says much about how God works through weakness to bless His people. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? James 2.5. Paul said in 2 Corinthians about some weakness he was experiencing, a thorn in his flesh. He said, I will boast in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So Christian, when you find yourself in a place of weakness, in a place where you need to receive from others to have your necessities Matt, you can trust the God of all grace with that. And I'd exhort you also to be careful not to covet those who currently do not have the same kinds of limitations to where they can work hard to meet their own needs and the needs of others. Work as much as you can. Give as much as you can. And when what you can is just not enough, you trust God. And let all of those who are not weak in this sense always aim to work enough and hard enough to have enough to be able to give to those who are in need. That's the kind of character we all must cultivate, no matter how weak we might be. The person who's watching well over their own soul, who can care well for the souls of others, will be the person who has the heart of a hard-working giver, like Paul had. And you can be hopeful about this, Christian. You think, whoa, that, that heart posture is, is not close to where my heart posture is a lot of the time, if I'm honest. Well, be hopeful. Be hopeful in the word of God's grace that because of what Jesus did, he, he is able to sanctify our hearts and to build us up in this kind of Christ-like love. The grace of Jesus is sufficient to help us to be like Him, for His glory, for our joy in Him, for our own soul's good, for the good of the souls around us. God, we thank You that that's true, that Your grace is sufficient for these things. God, we pray that, that by the power of the Word of Your grace, that You would conform us more into the image of Christ in, in this respect.
Make us more hardworking people and generous people. When we are weak, help us to boast in those weaknesses for the sake of Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to commit ourselves in confidence, especially to this gospel that you've given us, this gospel in Christ of eternal life and full pardon and everything else that we need and would make us happy eternally. Thank you for giving it to us freely in him. So we glorify you, and in his name we do. Jesus, amen.